It's time for midday. It's 11.30 here at KRVN. Tyler Cavalia along with you. Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan joining us here in just a little bit. Boy, it's sunny out. Nice to finally see the sun. That will continue. Temperatures also warming up already. 40 degrees in the Grand Island Aurora locations. Those are the warmest spots in the state of Nebraska. Don't worry if you're not there yet. You will get into the 30 and 40 degree range here before the end of the day. Of course, we'll get more about the weather Coming up at uh, 11.45 with Paul Perkins. But let's start off today with Susan Littlefield, as we always do. And Susan, how was your weekend? Uh, It went really fast, wrestling all day on Saturday and just stuff around the house on Sunday. So it was a very productive weekend then. It was. It was that. Awesome to hear. Well, what do you have for us coming up on this Monday edition of Midday? Well, we're going to kick it off at 1219, kind of appropriate as we get closer to calving season. I'll speak with one of the vets from Merck Animal Health as we talk about a product that's been our administrative way of giving vaccines to newborn calves that's been around since the 70s is really picking up momentum, and that's giving the vaccines through the nose. So we'll talk more about that at 1219. Then at 1245, the beginning of a, a discussion that will take place over a couple of days with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce as we first look at this pandemic and what it meant for their offices across the country to keep things as normal as possible for our producers. And then Clay will wrap up everything at 117. As Paul Moosman, president of AgWest Commodities, will highlight their upcoming webinar over cash marketing in the current market environment. So that's a look at the midday from the farm team on this Monday. Okay. Thank you very much, Susan. Sure. Appreciate it. You're Have welcome. a good one. You too. All right. Thank you very much. Let's turn over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And, well, it was a successful road trip for the UNK Loper basketball teams. Yeah, it was. Rare uh, rare sweep on the road Saturday with both the men and women winning. Uh, the women with a big win over Central Missouri. That means they are 8-0. They have the lead right now in the MIAA. Hmm. Long way to go, but uh, that was a big win to beat the Jennies down there in Warrensburg. So we'll touch on that. Also a nice win for the Husker women. They've really righted the ship. After it looked like their season might go south, last couple of weeks they have wins over top 25 competition. As last night they were able to beat Michigan State. We'll get the thoughts of head coach Amy Williams about that. Husker men gave it a good effort, but uh, they're still winless Big Ten play. And we have a national championship game tonight in college football. We do. You know, there were times there during the fall, especially when the Corona brothers were going full tilt there on social media hoping that there wouldn't be a season that hey they they somehow found a way to get to the finish line with ohio state and alabama well not only did we get to this point but we also almost had the national championship game postponed because of ohio state having COVID issues there as well but hey we're moving along hasn't been easy none of it has been but uh, here we are uh you have to like alabama's chances in this one i think uh i don't know how healthy justin fields is Played great against Clemson, but he took a beating. Yeah, I know we had more time to rest up, but boy, that's he—he he was getting hit nonstop that entire game. So we'll see what happens. But I think you're right. I think Alabama will get another one. Yeah, we're that. really going on a ledge there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bob Brogan, midday business report. What do you have for us? Stocks slipping today as uh, trading is uh, cooling off a little bit in the markets around the world following their strong record-setting runs. Also, India is trotting out its own homegrown vaccine. Some people are questioning whether it's received enough testing. And uh, Ben and Jerry's is uh, going to the dogs. They're going to make ice cream and frozen treats for dogs. Your dog will be barking with joy. All right. All that coming up next. 
1144 at KRVN on this Monday as Paul Perkins has stepped in for a regional ag weather update. And, well, Paul, we're seeing some nice temperatures right now, some 40s popping up across the region. Yeah, really uh, warming up nicely. Uh, we've gotten rid of a lot of the snow cover across the area. About the only area we're seeing much in the way of snow on the ground on the visible satellite photo is from about along and east of a line from Neely to Albion to the York area on into much of northeast Nebraska. Kind of a gap in that coverage over Lincoln, but otherwise uh, very little snow cover, and that is helping for those temperatures to warm very quickly, and also the westerly winds helping in that warm-up today. And we're finally seeing sun, which feels like it's been eons since we've seen the sun. I, I think it's been about a week or so, because I think maybe Tuesday was the last day we had some sunshine, and otherwise much of last week was uh, locked in cloudiness. I think yesterday we had it for, what, five minutes, and then it disappeared again. <laughs> yeah. So, But at least the sun, the warmer temperatures, will help melt some of that extra snow laying around. Exactly, and uh, get things and everybody into a better mood with some better, uh, nicer temperatures over the next few days. Most of our temperatures right now in the mid to upper 30s, across the area. A few locations already touching into the low 40s, such as in Grand Island and Aurora. Grand Island at 40, 42 in, on your temperature in the Aurora area. Also as warm as 41 in northeast Colorado towards the Holyoke area and 40 over western Kansas towards the Atwood area. Sunshine back in our forecast as a ridge of high pressure builds east onto the plains. Westerly downslope winds helping in the warm-up. Today that'll warm and tomorrow that'll warm those temperatures up to about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than average. Wednesday going to be our mildest day of the next seven days with highs just over 20 degrees above average. Strong low pressure does crack across the northern plains. That will push a cold front into Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday night and Thursday. Maybe some light flurries or sprinkles with that front's passage on Wednesday night. Otherwise, the forecast models, the big thing with this system is the potential for some very strong northwest winds for Thursday on into Friday, including the possibility of wind gusts to 50 to 60 miles per hour. So don't be surprised if you hear things like a high wind watch by the end of the week. Daytime highs behind that front will cool into the 40s, but that's still above normal for this time of year. In our long-term forecast, seasonal to slightly above normal temperatures are indicated for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through January 24th. The average central Nebraska daytime highs during that time, usually in the upper 30s with average overnight lows in the mid-teens. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation is likely for this weekend through the 24th in Nebraska and Kansas. And during that time period, any of these systems that come in likely to come in from the west and northwest, which usually don't have as much precipitation as a system coming out of the Four Corners area. Key weather factors impacting the markets include favorable rain chances in Brazil and mixed rain chances for Argentina. Here in the U.S., mostly dry weather will prevail the next five days across the central and southern plains. Late in the week, a cold front sweeping across the northern plains and Midwest will introduce cooler weather preceded and accompanied by some high winds and rain and snow showers. In wheat areas of the southern plains, drought conditions remain in the western half. The melted down precipitation this last weekend generally amounted to only about a quarter of an inch. Very little precipitation is expected outside of the northeast corner of the Southern Plains for the next 10 days as the drought continues across much of the northern and western areas. In Brazil, most primary crop areas expect moderate to heavy rain through the next week, moisture that will be useful for the crops. The heaviest amounts are predicted over northern and central Brazil, but some southern areas can also have some locally heavy rain. In Argentina, rain began to develop yesterday and will extend through today after a few more days of dry 
Minus, another system moves through Argentina late Thursday and Friday with additional widespread moderate showers. The pattern, though, turns drier for Argentina after this week. All right, uh, 40s right now in some locations. Midweek, we could see maybe some areas with 60s. Yes, uh, Wednesday looking very nice with a lot of us with highs into the upper 50s to low 60s, so enjoy. But as always, there has to be some <laughs> kind of wind, and there will be later that night, you're saying, or yeah, Thursday? Exactly. Most likely on Thursday, uh, the okay. price for that nice weather coming up on Thursday and Friday. Yeah, the potential for some wind gusts of 50 to 60. Not expecting much moisture with that system, so... It shouldn't be too much of an issue for any, like, blowing snow issues, sure. but definitely keep an eye on it. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds about right as well from what we usually get with all that stuff uh -huh. this time of year. Uh, for more weather, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. You. Though it's been around since the 70s, getting vaccines to baby calves via the nose is picking up popularity. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Chris Thompson is technical service veterinarian. He is with Merck Animal Health. Nasal vaccines have actually been around since the early 1970s. Um, but I would say over the 10 years, their use has definitely increased. And a lot of that has come about because we're starting to understand the immunology aspect a whole lot more. So when a calf is born and gets colostrum from its mother, that's how it is protected from disease early in life. We know that that protection from that colostrum starts declining immediately, and we lose about half of that protection every three to four weeks. Typically, if we give an injectable vaccine to a young calf, that maternal antibody or colostrum will block some of the response to that vaccine. What we found out through research is that when we use our intranasal vaccines, we can bypass that colostrum effect and stimulate that young calf's immune system to start producing protective antibodies that will protect it from disease. I'm thinking from a safety perspective of the producer that's out there handling these newer calves, there's, there's no need to be worried about um, accidental needle sticks into them, um, trying to keep juggling all the different things they need with this nasal vaccine and and brd i know has been a big concern how do you see that um, in these younger calves um, from a producer's perspective making it easier well you know as we manage our cattle more intensively whether we're calving through a barn or we're in a, <clears throat> a dairy type situation it, it does put more disease pressure on these young calves and a lot of producers are handling calves at a young age so you know, internasal route is ultimate and BQA friendly. You know, there are no needles, no accidental needle sticks. So human safety factor is huge in it. And if we can get these calves some protection early in life, hopefully we can get a better handle on prevention of bovine respiratory disease, which costs the industry 2 to $3 billion every year. Now, I know that you said in, at the beginning, you talked about how these nasal vaccines have been around since since the 70s. Why now? are we starting to see the trend pick up of, of producers wanting to use them more? Well, I, I think we're understanding where better to use them. And I, I think they really fit in that younger calf window. So a calf that's say less than five to six months of age, I think it's a really good fit for these intranasal vaccines. Um, and, and they're expanding. We're getting more protection out of the vaccines. The original intranasal vaccine that came on the market had one antigen in it, and that was it. You know, now we're up to three, and coming next year we'll be up to five different antigens in an intranasal vaccine. 
That's amazing. And uh, if folks want to find out more information about these nasal vaccines and the new technologies that Merck's come out with, where do they need to go? Nasalgen.com is a great website. And the other thing is I always encourage producers to work with their local veterinarian in designing a vaccination plan. Um, the local vet's going to be their best source of knowledge of what's happening in their area and what they need protection from. My conversation this afternoon coming with Chris Thompson. He's technical service veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. As he discussed, administering the internasal vaccines in neonatal calves is considered one of the most effective strategies to put protective immunity in place quickly and establish some strong foundation for future respiratory protection. Of course, talk to your local veterinarian anytime you have questions. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in, and of course, tonight, college football will come to an end. It all wraps up. And trying to figure out which of Nick Saban's Alabama teams is best is kind of like trying to pick Michelangelo's greatest work of art. Uh, they're all excellent in their own way. The top-ranked Crimson Tide headed to tonight's game against third-ranked Ohio State, looking for their sixth national title under Saban. And if you stop to consider all that's you know, they've had to go through. Ohio State's had to go through. I mean, we probably should just be glad there's a game tonight between the Crimson Tide and the Buckeyes. Now, I don't remember. I don't think Alabama, did, they never had to cancel or postpone a game, did they, this year? I don't believe so, but Saban had to check out of one That's at least. twice. Yeah. He had to do it twice, and they still obviously had no problems winning ball games. But uh, Ohio State, they've obviously had their issues. But I, this this one surprises me a little bit that Ohio State, is in the national championship and took care of Clemson the way they did. It is going to be a little weird not seeing Trevor Lawrence in the national championship. Game. Which I think is okay for college football. I, I, sure. I don't think it's great to have the same two teams all the time, although right now it's pretty much three teams. <laughs> it's the three-team race. <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's what it is. So we'll see what happens tonight down there in Miami. Uh, one of Nebraska's few weapons on offense is apparently looking to leave for greener pastures. Reports serviced over the weekend that receiver and running back Wandale Robinson is planning on putting his name into the transfer portal this week. Robinson was coming off a productive season with the Huskers as he made 51 catches for over 450 yards. He's also rushed for more than 250 yards. Sounds like he had a meeting with Coach Frost. Something official will come out uh, this afternoon, but all signs point to him. Heading back to Kentucky. Is this something where he's looking at boosting his, his numbers a little bit, getting NFL eyes so he can look into the next uh, step maybe? I don't know, but it's not a good sign. No, it's and, not. And it looks terrible, and people have a lot of different reasons for doing a lot of different things, this, uh, especially in these days, but that's, that's not good. Mm -hmm. It'd be different if he wasn't playing. Right. We'll see what happens, I guess. Uh, with the victory, uh, the Husker women had a nice win yesterday as they were able to knock off Michigan State, rallying to win that one late. With that victory, it improved the Huskers to 6-4 and four overall, 4-3 four and three in the Big Ten. They've now beaten two top 25 opponents in the last two weeks. Head coach Amy Williams talks about how they did it. We're very excited to knock off a ranked opponent um, on their home court. Just a, a great win for our team, obviously. But overall, I thought we had key contributions from almost everybody that got a chance to um, to, to go out there in a Husker uniform. And Williams made her comments in her postgame show on the Husker Sports Network. Izzy Bourne led Nebraska with 18 points and 7 rebounds. And it was a day to remember for the UNK women's basketball team on Saturday. 
as the Lopers improved to 8-0 with a 12-point win over Central Missouri. It's UNK's first ever win in Warrensburg, and the Lopers stopped Central Missouri's 18-game home court winning streak. Assistant coach Devin Amy says this one was big. I'm proud of our group. I'm, I'm happy for our group to be 8-0, right? You control what you can control, uh, obviously, with all the COVID stuff. Uh, I tell you, we're tough, man. I mean, we get after it. and wasn't a perfect game by any means, but, dang, we play hard. We got a bunch of winners. They're pretty good. They're a neat bunch of kids. They're now in sole possession of first place in the MIAA. Well, now it's going to be awesome because they're going to open up the Health and Sports Center a little bit more so more fans can come on and cheer the undefeated Lopers. Yeah, we cross our fingers. All of the COVID tests go through, and they'll be playing Missouri Western on Thursday and Northwest Missouri on Saturday. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Jason. The number of people hospitalized with the coronavirus in Nebraska has continued to shrink this month. The state said there were 475 people being treated for COVID-19 on Sunday in Nebraska hospitals. That's down from 517 at the start of January. The number of hospitalizations is less than half of the November peak, but it remains more than double where it was at the start of October. Around Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m., Kearney police responded to a suspicious subject. The officers discovered the subject had vandalized an off-duty Kearney Police Department unit. The suspect, 33-year-old Jose Garcia Jr., was immediately combative and non-compliant and threw an unknown object at officers as well as punched and kicked two officers during the arrest. Officers were able to deploy some Less than lethal force, utilizing a taser, and the suspect was placed into custody. Two officers had minor injuries. Another was treated for a fractured finger. Governor Pete Ricketts on Friday said it would be more productive to work towards installation of new leadership than oust President Donald Trump. I don't believe it serves anybody to have the president uh, resign or to be removed from office. We have to focus on a smooth transition to the Biden administration. That's what the president is committed to. The Republican governor, a consistent supporter of Trump, has said that the president pledged a smooth transition of power to President-elect Joe Biden, and it's unnecessary to press for his removal from office. Kansas legislators are preparing to open their annual session with new leaders in the Senate and new lawmakers in a quarter of the seats. The House and Senate sessions Monday afternoon are for swearing-in members and ratifying Republican lawmakers' selection for each chamber's top leaders. The new Senate president and majority leader are Wichita-area Republicans Ty Masterson and Gene Sulentrup. The Senate's majority leader is Lenexa Democrat Dina Sykes. 28 of the House's 125 members are new. 14 of the 40 senators are new, even though seven previously served in the House. The 90-day session will be marked by COVID-19 precautions. Flooding has been a consistent concern in the St. Joseph, Missouri area, but this year leaders of the community have the opposite worry, the unusually low level of the Missouri River. The St. Joseph News Press reports that Buchanan County commissioners have sent a letter to U.S. Representative Sam Graves raising worries about the river level, which was just about three feet on Monday. Just two years ago, that record flooding along the Missouri River swamped parts of northwest Missouri, southwest Iowa, northeast Kansas, and southeast Nebraska. But in recent months, shipments through the St. Joseph Port Authority have been grounded by low water. 
On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. This week we're catching up with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce as we look back at his tenure with the Farm Service Agency. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Even a pandemic did not slow the FSA down from keeping business as usual for our producers. You know, if I were to think back on my time as administrator, um, you know, started in May of 2018 and... um, we knew that you know that the they were they were putting kind of the finishing touches on a on a new farm bill and and you know we were we were certainly ready to to start implementing whatever that legislation was and and you know Congress did did agree on and pass a farm bill the president signed it and and we honestly we were getting ready we were getting ready to go to work on implementing it and we went into the government shutdown and. I think, you know, there's been, you know, there's been so much water under the bridge since that time. You know, we had a, I think it was 34 days that the government was shut down um, due to no budget bill. And um, and so we, you know, we kind of uh, had to wait to implement that farm bill. And, and you know, in typical years, that would, I mean, that is, it's farm bill all day, every day for the implementation of that piece of legislation. And we did that um, until we decided that we needed to uh, engage in our first market facilitation program. So the first MFP, um, you know, was stood up kind of simultaneous to continuing to uh, implement the farm bill. And then a second market facilitation program, um, you know, came on the heels of the first one. Um, and then, you know, one of, I mean, a, an event that none of us would have anticipated um, or saw coming was the, was the pandemic. And, you know, we, we responded um, from, a, from an agency perspective, from a mission area perspective, um, and really from a department perspective, um, you know, to certainly wanted to make sure that the health and safety of our employees and our producers, you know, were considered. And, and so we, we developed a, a plan to kind of, um, you know, go to more of a remote kind of status in our county offices. Um, kind of simultaneous to that, Congress did pass the CARES Act, which gave us some dollars. Uh, the secretary uh, pulled some dollars, some additional dollars out of the Commodity Credit Corporation to have our first CFAP program. Um, you know, that, that first one, the CFAP one, uh, literally was stood up in about six weeks from, from nothing to sign up in about six weeks. And that is obviously that is incredibly fast for a federal program. Um, but we knew the importance of doing that, um, to provide assistance to producers that were impacted by, you know, by the, by the pandemic. Um, and I would also say that, um, that first CFAP program, uh, we stood that up with all of the leadership actually working remotely as well. So, you know, I was in Missouri, um, you know, other leadership were in other places where, you know, where they permanently would call home. Um, and we did that certainly working with the office of the chief economist and our business center within the mission area, other agencies across USDA, um, and th- everybody was remote and, and that was our kind of our first introduction into, you know, uh, conducting teams meetings or zoom meetings, 
And, you know, it was, I mean, it was certainly something we had to get used to at first. And, you know, and by the time, you know, we had finished kind of standing up that first CFAP, we, you know, we were all very comfortable with, with virtual meetings and remembering to unmute and remembering <laughs> to turn on your camera. Um, and, and so just a real, I thought, I mean, I just thought a very positive uh, response to a very terrible pandemic. Um, so yeah, it just, that's just an overview of, <laughs> of kind of what happened in the last couple of years. You know, and, and I kind of chuckle when you, when you talk about Zoom and all the different things that you guys did, because I mean, before the pandemic, you guys were constantly keeping the communication open and going to producers through your service centers. And this pandemic did not stop it. Uh, I think producers that if they hadn't known what was going on, may not have noticed a, a beat was missed by any means as you guys continue to work to, to bring the services out to the countryside. You know, that's a great point. And, and actually, we've done some analytics around, you know, what was accomplished, you know, kind of during that first stage when we when we were working, a lot of our folks were working remotely. And, and you know, the, the data tells us that we were as productive and in some cases maybe even more productive you know, kind of working from a remote status. And, you know, I was a little surprised by some of the analytics that we that we have access to. And, and as we, you know, as we tried to analyze that, um, I mean, honestly, I was a little surprised. I felt like we would have a little bit of a downtick, um, you know, in productivity and the ability to get, you know, applications out, payments out to producers. That's my conversation with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. We'll have more from him tomorrow. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for Monday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are slipping today as trading cools in markets around the world following their strong record-setting runs. India has taken a regulatory shortcut for its homegrown vaccine, a move touted by the Prime Minister as a success in India's self-reliance. But several groups and unions representing scientists and doctors have expressed their concerns over scant evidence of effectiveness for the vaccine. Many scientists have said that approving a vaccine without evidence from late trials is risky and a lack of transparency in the approval process could increase vaccine hesitancy in the world's second most populated country, where more than 10.4 million coronavirus cases have been reported among the nearly 1.4 billion people. The maker of Dr. Martin's Boots plans to sell shares to the public as the existing owners try to profit from growth of the iconic brand. Dr. Martin's Limited says that current investors plan to sell at least 25% of their stake as an initial public offering on the London Stock Exchange. The average U.S. price of regular-grade gasoline cents a gallon over the past three weeks to $2.35. Industry analyst Troby Lundberg of the Lundberg Survey says a rise in crude oil prices spurred the increase. The price of the pump is 30 cents less than it was a year ago. The highest average price in the nation is $3.40 a gallon in the San Francisco Bay Area. The lowest average is $1.90 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Ben & Jerry's is going to the dogs. The Vermont Ice Cream Company says it's introducing a line of frozen dog treats in its first foray into the lucrative pet food market. 
Doggy desserts sold in four-ounce cups go on sale in U.S. groceries and pet stores later this month. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brook. Play patent on the Rural Radio Network. AgWest Commodities is presenting their next webinar Friday, January 15th. The topic covered in this webinar is cash marketing and was picked by producers. Joining me now to talk about the upcoming cash marketing webinar is AgWest Commodities President Paul Mooseman. Paul, your first webinar is about global production and its impact to the market was a huge success. Give us the details about the next webinar over cash marketing. Yeah, thank you again, Clay. Uh, unfortunately, we can't meet all of our customers in, in our five- or six-state area uh, this round. However, we are able to bring some significant uh, expertise, not only from our regional level, which is Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, and Colorado, but we're also bringing in a couple of uh, gurus, I would call them, that are nationally known. These individuals are working with commercial elevators. They're not the ones buying grain, but they're the one recommending and consulting to these larger, big commercial elevators. So they're going to bring their expertise, put those knowledge points in the hand of our producers. 2020 ended with a bang, and 21 has sure started with, with, in my opinion, even a bigger bang in the ag markets. With the large USDA report coming Tuesday, we're going to follow it up on Friday with these individuals discussing what's kind of happened in the futures markets and why, but more of an emphasis on cash and basis. Now, again, for, for us here locally and, and then also regionally, kind of what's going on. This is an extremely volatile market with, with the cash up and down, and so we want to try to take advantage of some of these opportunities that we're seeing now and discuss, really dive in, get into the weeds on what's going on and, and where grain flow is happening. In the weeds is where we need to be as, as, as these decisions are important. So we're happy to bring these to all of our producers in this one shot uh, January 15th. And again, this is going to be one shot that you'll have an opportunity to see it, but it's by customer demand. And, and Paul, when you talk about that, that means that you're listening to your customers. You're listening to the folks that go to AgWest Commodities to help build their marketing plan. And they're asking you, hey, this is we haven't seen cash prices like this in nearly five, six, seven years in some cases. So they're coming to you and they're saying, what can we do? That's absolutely right. We're at six and seven year high on some of our grain markets. And more importantly of that, we're in some unconventional times where basis is doing some things that it typically doesn't do this time of year. Late last summer, early fall through harvest and now into 2021, in my opinion, basis has kind of been flipped on its head. Some of our future spreads are, are acting unconventional. So we want to get some information, some knowledge from those folks who know and, and can help explain what's going on and put that in the hands of our producers to make some good decisions going forward. This is unprecedented for everyone, so let's get some information that can help us make some decisions in 21. And with this webinar platform, the exciting thing about it is the fact that producers can join wherever they may be located. So walk us through how does one sign up and then how does one take in all of this content? try to make it easy. Uh, we're, we're not tech gurus, so we're, we're on the marketing side. Just go to our webpage at goagwest.com, and if you can join us from your laptop or your computer at home, that's great. If you'd like to join us from the road and listen in on your smartphone, that's great, too. What, whatever's convenient from you for, for whatever smart device you can have, just go to our webpage, register, you'll get an email reminder, and click at the time and listen in. Paul, your final thoughts, closing comments. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Clay. For all of you who are producers who have questions out there and, and, and are excited but in the same breath a little bit worried about 2021, let's all do this together. Happy New Year, everyone. I think we've got some great successes going forward. We've just got to be able to make sure and, and not screw this up. Tune in, listen in, get some information. Let's all help each other. 2021. That's Paul Mooseman. He's president of AgWest Commodities. Don't miss their upcoming webinar again January 15th. It's going to be covering cash markets and cash marketing. You can register at goagwest.com. Um. Clay Patton on the World Radio Network as we talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, as the settlements start to roll across the screen, a little bit of pullback here, but that soybean meal market actually ends its day almost on the highs. Is that a significant going into tomorrow's WASD? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the market's not going to break ahead of it. We're going to need to see some evidence here that the market either doesn't need the ration supply or we could see evidence that it does. It needs to ration more. I think that's where the best are being made. I mean, there's just incredibly expensive option prices out there. The $16 call, which is $2.5 away from the money here, expiring at the end of February is going for almost $0.07, cents, which is an incredible value for, you know, considering where we were six seven months ago. Um but there's so much potential bullishness that could be priced in now. Obviously, they could you could make the argument that we're going to buy the rumor, sell the facts. I'm down with that. It tends to be a kind of a price action theme. But um, it's hard to believe that if we come out with a carryover that's like one five, and they've dropped the the yield and the old crop, and the grain stocks are lower, and the demand for potential rallies is there due to higher increases in demand. It's hard to think we're going to break hard on that. So. My thinking is you stick with the Chinese plan here. Take them at their word. They're continuing to buy. They're continuing to ship. And I think at this point we probably are going to be at these price levels for at least a short period of time until South America can compete. And right now they can't. What What is the latest that you're hearing about South American harvest? Obviously off to a slow start, but is that just because of the planning delays they incurred? Well, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be later. Usually they get it probably started here in a week, week and a half, and I think it'll be closer to the 1st of February. Um, it's... <laughs> You know, I can't. It's kind of way. You know, the intel I get is broad-based. You're looking at maps and satellite images. And in reality, I just, you know, I have a hard time wasting mental energy trying to guess what the crop's going to be. So I have to take these folks' word for it. And right now, everybody's pretty much near 130. So 130 million metric tons for beans, which isn't much of a reduction. And for the corn, you know, maybe closer to 100. Um, now the corn would be the one I think we could see drop first. Um, but at this point, I think the beans are probably the one that would have more upside if it does, and I think that's you know likely to happen here, uh, given that uh, they'll have a full another crop to grow in in Brazil. Really, the majority of their crop goes is, is still going to be growing through April. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You can learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. If you'd like to learn more from John or sign up for his free daily newsletter This Week in Grain, visit danielsagmarketing.com. Again, that's danielsagmarketing.com. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Monday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors. You can find that at krvn.com.